You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hey, everyone. I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Trek FM's local books and comic show. And I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing. And I am so excited uh, to be coming at you here as we are going to be doing something very special. Uh, we are going to do something we've never really done, which is to do a retrospective on a series that's come out and talk about it amongst ourselves as the hosts. And so to do that, I'm really glad to have with me, as he is so much of the time, the one, the only, the beautiful Bruce Gibson. Now, you know, I've seen more than one Bruce Gibson on Google because I've Googled my name before. And I think I like I'm an attorney in some state. And, oh, really? Yeah. or Yeah. I've been around for a while. But, but are they more beautiful than you? No, because they don't read Star Trek novels and you gain beauty from Star Trek. Wow. I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, you've been looking I've, better I've, each time you read a book, Matt. Apparently, I mean, I, I must be looking great this year because I read a lot of Star Trek books being back on literary treks. And I'm so excited to have with us uh, here is none other than Casey Pettit, who reads a ton of Star Trek books and therefore looks better than both of us, Bruce. He's beautiful. Look he, at uh, me. Absolutely. Our, our listeners just <laughs> wish we had a video feed now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they're probably thinking themselves that they don't because they've, you know actually seen our pictures online and they're like no they got voices for radio so <laughs> or podcasting but um well we uh, are super excited because uh we had the coda series come out last year and well i say last year because as we're recording this it is going to be last year by the time this episode drops which is the first of the new year. So um, this is our gift to you and something we've never really, again, we've never done this before where we're going to kind of talk through a series and it's so monumental. We figured, well, it, it needs more conversation. So uh, before we get there, just want to remind you, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a star rating and review. You can actually now rate us on Spotify as well. So if you're a Spotify user, uh, head over to the app and you can give us a star rating there. We'd really appreciate that. You could find us, of course, online, uh, all over the place on Twitter at TrekFM. Um, of course, we're on Instagram at TrekFM. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. Listeners only discussion group called the Babel Conference. You can join listeners from all over the world talking about everything we've got going on here in the network. Track.fm, our, our main website and hub online. And of course, you can send us an email at 
trek.fm slash contact, choose a show, choose literary treks, and that can come to us. And we want to say a huge thank you to our associate producers uh, through Patreon. Patreon is the place where uh, you could support the network and make sure that everything keeps coming to you. It was a very lean year for us, honestly. Uh, and we could really use your help. Um, and we've got great associate producers here on Literary Tracks. Uh, one of them is with us, Mr. Casey Pettit, as well as Greg Rosier, who also helps support the network through Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want uh, trek.fm to be able to continue in 2022, uh, then we really do encourage you to do that at patreon.com slash trek.fm. Well, guys, this show is so unique and different. We have no news, so I don't know. Why don't we just head into the feature and give our coda to coda? Okay. Um, so this is going to be something we've, uh, again, I've said it twice already, but it's, it is very different. We've never really done this before. We've talked about a series, but this was so monumental. The idea of bringing what we came to affectionately call the lit verse coming to an end and with this coming to an end, I wanted to ask both of you how you were feeling when, one, you realized Picard was going to ruin it all, uh, and two, when they then announced finally that what they were going to do with the literary universe was use a book series to bring it to a conclusion. Well, I remember when Dayton and David, I th- I can't remember which one said there's a plan. I remember that tweet that went out. We have a plan to do something with this timeline to end it. And I didn't necessarily think they were going to go in this direction. I just thought that they would do one last trilogy or novel or something that just wraps up some storylines and then we're just done with this timeline. And then we move forward with whatever continuity happens with Picard. So I wasn't expecting them to destroy the timeline. And then as we were getting more information about it and developments about this, and that seemed to be the direction they were going. And you may have heard me say this before in other places in here. And that is that I don't believe the timeline will be destroyed. I felt like that was just like what they were leading us to believe. And then they were going to do something that then resulted in the timeline not being destroyed. Well, they fooled me. So there you go. Yeah, I wasn't... (sighs) I don't know. Yeah, after watching that first episode of Picard, it was kind of like, okay, yeah, they better have a plan. Like, if if they're gonna do something, and and I'm glad they followed through on that because if you read through their afterwards in each of the books, you know, they talk about how they didn't want to just send this to the the legends, I guess, of you know, similar to Star Wars or something like that, and just kind of leave it alone or leave it on a big cliffhanger or anything. And yeah, I thought I thought maybe they would do something just to tie up loose ends you know maybe um even do some sort of you know timey-wimey stuff to to get everything to line back up so that we would be in the same universe i didn't i didn't uh i didn't think they were going to go quite quite as far as to say yeah that this is just an alternate universe which is you know essentially what we got but uh yeah i don't know if it if it gave me what i expected or not it's definitely not what i uh you know, there there was a, it was a roller coaster of emotions for sure. You know what they ended up giving us. <laughs> I just rem- when you said that, it just reminds me of being uh, or watching Anchorman. And he's like, oh, I'm stuck in this glass cage of emotion. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, I, absolutely. I, I think you know, listening to both of you 
kind of talk about where you were. It is interesting because I thought it was an interesting idea, uh, you know, and yeah, I, I mean, the moment they announced the Picard series, I knew the lit verse was screwed. You know, like, it just was. There wasn't, it was the same thing with them announcing they were going to do episode seven, eight, and nine for Star Wars. Like, they're, they're, they're not going to keep this. They're not going to do anything, you know, like, it's going to die because, in all honesty, I mean, you know, tie-in fiction is only meant to support what's on screen. That's what it does, you know. Um, the uniqueness for both Star Wars and Star Trek is that they had been the sole arbiters of what was happening with your characters for a good 20 years. And so that's why people were so in love with them, you know, and for good or ill. And, you know, we've talked on the show, especially as we've been going to the 24th century books, we haven't covered the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think, of the decisions that they made for that. And you know, I think that, that they... I want to ask you guys this question because kind of coming to the idea of the end, you know, they, they mentioned many times they didn't want this to be a Legends situation. But, you know, I, the problem is, is that Legends for Star Wars ends in a very good place in the sense that the Crucible book, whether you like it or not, is a book that kind of wraps up the storyline for Luke Han and Leia in a mildly satisfying way like it it leaves them all in a good place and and like yes there are many storylines and and our friend mark herleman bruce could could rattle off 40 of them that we're still continuing that he would want to see continued but everybody in the universe kind of was at a good place and it was a decent end like if there was no more it didn't kill you like you know in the sense that you could then still continue to make up ideas in your mind of where those characters would go and all of that kind of stuff and so i i guess part of me wants to challenge the idea that it was a bad idea to just let this die in the first place without having an actual end because does it I don't, does it necessarily, did it have to have an end? I guess maybe that's the question I'm trying to ask. Well, for me, the answer would be no. I, I, I didn't need an end. I didn't need to have this trilogy. I'm not saying I don't enjoy or appreciate this trilogy was done, but if it didn't happen, I'd be okay with it. Because as you're saying, like with Star Wars Legends, you know, that Crucible book came out, I think, right before the whole Disney thing happened anyway, because they were going into a new direction with Jaina Solo and kind of going to the next generation, which then they stopped once the Disney thing happened. But I guess the way I look at this continuity of novels is that it would be the same thing to me as if we didn't get another Kelvin timeline movie. It takes place in another timeline. Mm I don't need a fourth movie that destroys the timeline so that I can understand that this timeline's done. Like I, right. it, it's fine <laughs> if it ends where it ends right now. And you know, I would have been fine if these books ended where they ended because, and actually in some ways I would prefer it because I would know that maybe somewhere down the line, we can revisit this timeline, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe even have it connected within yeah. the Picard storyline. Yep. If anything, I was more disappointed with Kirsten Beyer, who started the Picard series that didn't go in there and say, hey, this is this is what will work. And it would still work 
for the most part with the novel continuity. Yes. You know, yeah. She threw it out the window. So, but I so appreciate them saying, Hey, let's, let's put an end to the timeline. But at the same time, it's sad because it's destroyed. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing these characters we followed for 20 years die. And did we yep. need that? I don't know, but I don't care because I enjoyed it. It's just, this is a story they wanted to tell and I'll take it. Well, not only did everybody die here, they never existed in the first place by the end of the book. They uh, they completely unraveled the timeline. And I know that, you know, when 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 this was coming about and people were kind of getting upset about how the novels were going away and, you know, I think both of you probably had said on your both your podcasts about how well the books are still on my shelf. Like they're not they're not disappearing. You know, I can still go back to these anytime. I mean, what we've essentially done in these books is say not not so much that it was all a dream, but you know, that's kind of where they went. Like literally they went back to the beginning of this time, this splinter timeline as they call it, and erased it from existence. So like as if they had never existed before, but the the benefit that we have is that we get to still read all these and you know i'm a, a b- bit of a broken record that i haven't read all of the books leading up to this yet but so i i can't say whether or not i would have preferred this to not have you know ended everything or not but um i guess i'll you know just say that uh i i appreciated these books for what they were and what the authors were trying to do as far as um somewhat of a love letter, I guess, to the readers that that have been reading for, you know, these nearly 20 years and, and reading all these books. Well, and I prefer that they did do it ultimately, because then it gives us that thread and that connection to this prime timeline that we're seeing on screen. We do have some connection there. So the answers are, you know, this is a different timeline. We know how the timeline started, how it connects to the prime timeline, and even though it's all destroyed, there are some elements that come out of this that can affect the timeline. For example, the Borg learn about their evolution in this timeline, and they're multidimensional. And so, therefore, they could avoid, in the prime timeline, the events that happened in Destiny. You mm. know, So, having little breadcrumbs in there like that, and Picard having visions of himself in different timelines, can inform him in the prime timeline, too. So... I appreciate having those connections that we wouldn't have gotten if we didn't get some kind of closure trilogy like this. So I would say then I prefer that this did happen. Mm -hmm. I think, Bruce, one of the points that you made up that I think is really strong was just the idea. Obviously, you killed this timeline, literally, um, and there's no way to ever return to it. And it is interesting because it... You know, the the Kelvin timeline is in a completely different timeline, and I, who cares, you know? Um, well, so is Star Trek so, Online, Star, so yeah. the comics, they and all so, do fit together. Yeah, and so I I, uh, I I understand the thought process of, of you know, uh, them deciding to do this and, and making the choice to do it. And, and, and so I think, you know, for me coming into this and the idea of, you know, when I compared it to you know legends it it just it, it does seem um interesting and different and it it seems as though i mean like you said they made a choice and so you know uh, well, there's there's nothing i can do about it you know uh it's the same way it's like 
we've talked about many times. They made choices with Cisco that I can't stand. Like I can't change that, right? You know, so it is what it is. And and so at this point, I mean, I think it's it's going to be interesting to kind of talk through, you know, the the series then uh, itself now. And you know, to me, uh, Moments Asunder was really interesting because you know, and, and when we I talked to Dayton here on the show. You know, he 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 mentioned the idea that starting off the book in a way that where you're helping all of these people kind of like see where they can't they could be going if we weren't going to kill everyone. You know, uh, it's it was basically almost wish fulfillment. Um, and it's funny because now as I look back to Moments Asunder and I think of where we end up, it does make it even more devastating because that's what I want, really. Like, as a fan, personally, I would much rather have this continued because I really did want to see where these characters were going to go. And in many ways, you know, like people talking about legends and that's their Luke Skywalker. This is my Picard. Like this Picard is so much more interesting than what we get in the show, which is a pale comparison, you know? And in many ways, I think talking to all the authors about this idea of like where they brought Picard in this, this book series was the, the ultimate challenge for Picard, right? Which is to open himself up to have a family and it makes him a better man. It makes him a better captain. Um, and it just makes him a better person overall, you know. And um, I, I think, uh, yeah, when I think of Moments Asunder now, that's the thing that really sticks with me is like all the places they could have gone, you know. Oh, the places you will go, you know. <laughs> the places you will go and the places will never go now. And And it does. It kind of breaks my heart. Yeah, and I mean, they've, like, I'm just kind of going back through my notes in the first one, too, in Moments Asunder, and I mean, just in the first, like, in part one of that book, we've got various crew members on the Enterprise considering leaving, like, Geordi was considering going back to, I think, Utopia Planitia to become a mm-hmm. starship designer. And Teresa Chen was considering leaving, and I think, to go to a California-class ship to work on second contact missions, and, um, you know, and... When they're at a star base, you know, Picard's on a beach and feels the happiest he's ever been. I mean, like, we're, we are kind of getting things set up, like, almost like a what you leave behind situation from Deep Space Nine, where, you know, Miles goes off to teach at Starfleet Academy and, you know, people are kind of going their separate ways. It, you know, it, the book actually starts off kind of like that with, uh, kind of setting that up, like everyone's considering kind of changing mm-hmm. the status quo a little bit. It's like the final episode of Friends and any other sitcoms, yeah. and but everybody's going <laughs> their separate ways in the last episode, just out of you know coincidence. And yeah, we start to see that here. But yeah, I I think in some ways it, it you know they're obviously and Dayton is specifically doing this you know to kind of rip our hearts out even more you know on, on purpose. Um and 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 I think it it's 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 a good setup and and. In all honesty, I probably would have done something similar if if I had been writing the series and in, in, in a way of saying like, 
this is where you could project in your mind as a fan where these characters could be going in the future. Like if we had a future. Um, and, and so I, I mean, I, I liked that, you know, and, and again, it is su- I would, I would say it's a bitter pill to swallow because I don't love Picard, the series. Like I've liked the books that they've given us. I thought that those have actually been better than the series itself. Um, but, and, and I don't like Picard in that series. Like he's, I don't know. Yeah, but how do you feel? <laughs> and how do you feel about your the preferred Picard being yeah. dead? <laughs> uh, well, it it hurts, like because it, to me, this was the logical progression, and 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 of all the characters, I would say in the extended timeline that they gave us i guess minus because voyager doesn't really play into this at all so that that's a whole i mean that's definitely a completely different discussion um but just from the characters we got here like picard was probably the best written and the best to me the 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 best progression that we got like what they did with him and beverly uh was was phenomenal um it's the very thing that the 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 TNG never had the guts to do. It's the it's the thing that you know. Obviously, Deep Space Nine had the guts to do, which was to allow its characters to get into relationships together and move on with their lives. You know, um, and the books finally gave us that for for for, for Picard. And so, yeah, that being gone, Bruce. Uh, thanks for you know while you're while you're at it, why don't you give me this paper cut and pour some lemon juice on it? Well, I got more to do with that because I <laughs> I was thinking about <laughs> you know. Is this the the best decision that they made for to to do a book like this? And I think it's more acceptable because we know that they can't write in this continuity anymore because of what's happening on screen. So sure. we're already accepting of that. But just imagine if you were watching The Next Generation as it was airing and you get to the final episode and then you find out that the last four seasons we're in a splinter timeline and they're going to have to destroy everything. You know, they're all going to die at the end. And so really what happened in the last four years, we didn't see the last four seasons Mm -hmm. were in this timeline that has now gone away. There would be so much uproar from people and say, that's like the worst Star Trek ending ever because we just wasted four years of it. But we don't feel that way about the novels because we know why it's been done that way. Sure. But from a storyline perspective if you were doing that for example in tng we would hate this right Mm -hmm. so do we like it because we know the situation or do you know or should we hate it (laughs) and i'm not saying i hate it but i'm just putting that out there that thought and i think the, the thing that's hard when they're doing a tv show and if they were to do that and there's a lot of tv shows that have done that where an entire season turns out to be a dream or something like that and right i think the ultimate question we're becomes lost like, you're actually in purgatory exactly saying elsewhere yeah, yeah. Dallas. Yeah. yeah but i mean you know the thing that we lose when we're watching those shows is that character development because if you undo an entire mm-hmm. season of a show you really got to take those characters back to where they were at the season before that but with these characters in the books you know we're we're getting this kind of finite conclusion and because of the whole, you know, C word with the canon of being, you know, what's on TV and now we've got to conform to that. You know, 
you know, nothing is lost on these characters yet. We're, we're saying it's in, you know, a splinter timeline and, and it's just, I, I just appreciate that the authors just kept, kept the character growth going even through these books. I mean, the characters continued to grow. And I think in the, once we got to Spock and I think the second book where he's like convincing people like, this is the right thing to do. We don't want to do this, you know, like the destroy our timeline, but we have to, because it's the right thing to do to save you know, when people could have just said, well, who cares about the prime timeline? You know, like, what yeah. if it gets destroyed? We're going to get destroyed anyway. But but we get to watch these characters grow throughout this series and to to the ultimate end of, you know, their their character arcs. And that's the beauty of these books, because when you watch Picard or Lower Decks or any other series that comes after this, you can look at it and say, this timeline would not exist if our heroes right. from this one didn't save it. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's an effect. So it's a good tie between these tie-ins and to the prime timeline. Right. And, and, and I just, I, you know, as the devil's advocate, then if you're on the other side, you're like, well, screw the prime timeline. Cause it sucks now. So like, I, I want the, I want what they we had, you know, like well, what it. So I, I think that's the most them. That's the hard part about the whole thing is like you are sac. You have to sacrifice something, and again, in the end, just like with, um, you know, Star Wars did, and time fiction in general. This is just how it works. It's always going to be sacrificed on the altar of what's on screen. That's just the way it works, and. And so, uh, but it, but like you said, Bruce, it just doesn't make it any less difficult because I think that was a great way to bring it up is that you are losing all of that character development really that you loved so much, you know, from characters and, and the way that they developed, right. You know, and so, um, and I think, you know, having mentioned this before, but it's like, yeah, I mentioned, I, I am sad because the character development of Picard is gone but at the same time you know the benefit of that is that the (laughs) development for other characters that I wasn't as big a fan of is undone now and you know like as far as I'm concerned Bashir and Ezri are happy together somewhere you know like right but will we we ever get that story in the prime yeah, timeline so, now. I mean, yeah. we'll have it now in this timeline, but will right. that ever be told in the prime right. timeline? And, and so, like, you, there's the trade-off, you know, which I think is, 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 th- that's the interesting conundrum, you know. So, um, obviously, too, we, we, you know, Moments Asunder does reveal a part of the threat and a part of the threat is the Davidians and their insatiable appetite for universes and um, not only not only universes, but the pain and suffering of universes as they collapse. And so did you guys like that? Did you guys think that this was um, going to be the final uh, villain of the series or did you always suspect that there would uh, be you know somebody else that's responsible part of me did wonder part of the time if q was going to show up i think he's mentioned i think in in the first book you know that, that they consider it could be him but um i think even picard says it just didn't seem like something q would do you know like 
with whatever was going on. Um, I was happy with the choice of the Davidians. It was it's an it's a a race that would have been interesting to see more on on screen, I guess. But even as they describe in the books, they kind of thought that they had dealt with the Davidians and their time travel nature and 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 soul sucking nature. Um, so I thought this was just like a really good kind of scary race to have, and they were able to add some nuance and some some kind of new aspects of these aliens that we didn't get mm-hmm. to see uh, on Next Generation. And um, I'm I'm glad they didn't have some other bigger power behind it, and and also glad too that they didn't just create a new yes. threat that we've never seen before. Because otherwise, why would we care so much? I guess just because there's this universe ending thread out there. And then it just seems like any, any of the new Star Trek series any, anymore anyway. Yeah. Well, that is true, isn't it? Um, I would have been fine if they created something else because it still means that the universe is being destroyed and it doesn't have to be from somebody, something familiar to me or not to really give me that, you know, sense of danger of what they have to face, but I appreciate them using the Davidians because they haven't been really used in the lit verse or in the comics. I think just briefly once or something. I mean, so they were ripe for the picking to do something like this with, I didn't expect there to be any other baddie in this. I expected them to be the ones throughout. I wasn't surprised when I was reading the first book that they were being used because I read that, they were in the synopsis of book three, which I read that synopsis before I read this book. And then I'm online and people are like, I was surprised it was the Davidians. I'm like, oh, that was supposed to be a surprise. I guess I was already spoiled on that, but it didn't ruin anything for me. It just made me more curious to read it. And, you know, the fact that, you know, they're sucking souls and they can do timey, wimey things and all that. It's perfect for this kind of trilogy. I really thought that it was a good choice, mainly because it was not expected, you know, and I think that was the thing that I really enjoyed the most. The fact that we weren't, this was not a villain that when anybody was thinking of Star Trek villains, that this would be it, you know, and I like that we, you know, at that point we weren't dipping back into any well that we had been to before. And to me, that was smart, you know? Uh, And at the same time, I also personally believed that it was smart to not just create something new that like, okay, you know, like this was diving back into Star Trek lore and creating something out of what had already been. And at the same time, making them even more terrifying than, than they'd ever been. You know, and to to realize, too, that and I think this was one of the things that I thought was really smart is that they've been working on this ever since what happened in TNG, you know, that they have been figuring out um, a way to uh, get what they want. And and once they got it now, you know, nature abhors a vacuum (laughs) and they are the ultimate hoover (laughs) they're just willing to suck up as much pain as possible and they found the best way to do that is to create splinter universes that allow them to you know suck up the entire universe's pain at one time and so i just i liked that um 
And in all honesty, I thought the the idea of just ultimate consumption being your drive um, and no stewardship was really interesting too. I mean, it's a, it's a great Star Trek kind of thematic element, I think, that works as well. So, um, yeah, I, to me, those big points for book one, I think, worked. I, was there anything else that stood out to you um, in, you know, Moments Asunder that you either really liked or was there anything that, you know, you were like, it didn't kind of live up to an expectations for you starting off the series. I think I liked the destruction of the guardian of forever up front because it kind of set the chess pieces to show that, you know, we're going all at it, you know, <laughs> you know, this is going to, this isn't going to be something easy and just bringing Wesley into this and his big part in this trilogy and how that's set up in this mm-hmm. novel was great because, you know, having recently read in the last couple of years at the time two series, and it kind of plays off of where we left Wesley there and bringing him forward here and having these abilities as the traveler. And to what Casey right. was saying earlier about Q, for example, you know, I had an offline conversation with Dayton where, you know, CBS gave them the directive, do not use Q, do not use Guinan. And I'm glad they gave them that directive because sometimes I feel like Q is used a little too often in situations like yes. this. Yes. So I was glad that he's kind of put off to the side. It would have been kind of cool to see Guinan, though, for yeah. this, you know, but she's name dropped a couple times. Yeah. But I, we don't know where she is. <laughs> No, but we know she died at the end, right? Because <laughs> they all <Yeah>. did. <laughs> like everybody else. But uh, yeah, and then we got some deaths, you know. Not, you know what I really liked about this book, and I think I said it at the time, was that the pacing. Like, I really expected, oh, it's like everything's just being destroyed. There's all this action, and we're going from scene to scene to scene. But we pretty much stay with the Enterprise crew throughout, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? So it felt yeah. more like a full book to me that just focuses on a core set of characters. And I really yeah. like that. Well, yeah, with the, with the deaths that we had, I mean, obviously, Ezri Dax being the big one, but there's also a lot of Litverse characters in there that died too. And because the Aventine does play uh, a good, a good part in this as well. But, um, but yeah, I, I like, you know, like you said, the, the pacing throughout this book was really good. It's setting everything up, giving us the sense, like, especially at the, the, the very first chapters with the guardian of forever and Wesley and, and witnessing this and knowing that Wesley's on some sort of mission. It, it sets that, um, kind of immediate, um, I don't know, kind of just that uh, that hook for the book to to get you to wonder what's going on. And then throughout the book, it, it does a great job of just leaving these little kind of nuggets of of information between like Worf's dreams at the beginning, which have to do with his, um, I think what they start calling temporal multiple personality disorder. And then Riker kind of having the same issues, starting to have the same issues where he's envisioning him as the, himself as the captain of the Enterprise D, and um, I think that's from the universe from one of the prior novels, like Headlong Flight, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. But um, and just kind of sowing the seeds for these things that are kind of that are going to play a much bigger part as the books progress, and so it just ramps up the energy until you get to the end when uh, Dax dies, Teresa Chen dies, and that one actually I felt was a little bit more difficult even than Dax's death because she didn't die right away. She just gets super old to the point mm-hmm. that she just 
is too old to live anymore, you know, like and, and actually could experience some of that. But well, there are times I was questioning, wait, did Dax just die? Did that just happen? like there were times I wasn't even sure if someone actually died or there's mm-hmm. a flash of lights like or was Dax sent somewhere else and we just think Dax died, you know? Yeah. You don't get to know until a little bit later that, oh, no, OK, yeah, yeah. she is. She's gone. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, obviously, I think for me, uh, Dax dying killed me. I hated it. Um, and I'll never forgive Dayton. Um, of course, she was going to die anyway. But uh, and I know, obviously, we'll talk about it in a second because it plays into what's going to happen in the next book. And, and obviously, that death is really pivotal for what we're going to do with characters. But there's a part of me that's sad that she doesn't get to be in the rest of the books to just help out and be there. You know, like, that's a character, uh, for me, a love, and and I would have liked to have just been able to spend more time with before she's gone, you know? Is there any of the uh, core characters that you would have preferred died instead of Dax to really set that stage? Well, that problem is, is that there isn't for what they're going to do with the, I mean, there's no other character that's, and I guess we can jump to it, um, with the ashes of tomorrow, but no other character's death is going to mean as much to Bashir and be the thing that you could feel like would snap him out of the malaise that he's been in. I, just no other character is going to do that, right? And I think, uh, and that's, uh, and I'll say for me, um, and I'll just right up front, to me, still the best book in the series is The Ashes of Tomorrow. And and mainly that's because I feel like we get the most heart out of all of the books because this one really deals with the emotional ramifications of what's happening for the characters I'm the closest to in this series. Uh, and um we really get a sense obviously with the deep space 9 characters um as well as even the the enterprise characters when uh you know, with Picard and them when they when they truly realize what they're up against and the fact that there is no answer other than we've all going to die so everybody else can live and so you put that together and like this book had me wrecked in a way that none of the other two books like there are parts in in Oblivion's Gate or you know moments asunder but this book just, I mean, there were multiple times I was honestly, I, I was tearing up because it was just like so heart wrenching. Yeah, I would agree. The uh, the the ashes to tomorrow definitely would be my favorite book. I think for all the reasons that you just said, there there is a one scene, one or two scenes in Oblivion's Gate. I think that really I, I that were very emotional. I guess, uh, but the ashes of tomorrow definitely did have the most i mean it, it brought in the deep space nine characters um and i think if i remember on the interview with james he said that this was the first time he had written the deep space nine characters which was surprising to me because i just i felt like all the voices were right on and um did a great job with that but um this you know this is kind of uh, an Empire Strikes Back situation where you got such a great, like, middle chapter, I guess, of a, a trilogy that, um, I don't know, this this book really left me wanting for more at the end, like, really get, like, to get into the, the third book of the series, just because so much happens, they find out so much, but also realize 
you know, they, they knew they were up against the Davidians in the first book. They knew what was at stake, but this one really just kind of um, brought everything together, I guess, and um, really set the stakes pretty high and, and then, you know, more deaths and everything too. <laughs> more deaths, <laughs> more deaths. I, it, it it took me a moment. I had to think for a little while. I was like, wait, what all happens in this book? Because it's been a couple months since I've read it. Now I'm remembering. Yes. Uh, yeah, we we get introduced to the Deep Space Nine crew in this at the start of this book. So as the first book, as we were talking about, it really focused more on the Enterprise crew. And now we're focused. Now we're introducing the Deep Space Nine crew into the fold of this. And yeah, the way things play out on the station, that brand new station, no longer around anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Roe and Quark together one last time. I enjoyed that. <laughs> they they died together. And uh, what happened to O'Brien and Kira's reaction to that. All those things that were happening at the end of this book. Yeah, were really powerful, really emotional. And just even just the last line or the last page showing that they're going to another universe in the next book was kind of exciting to get that little nugget to show, you know, where we're progressing to next in the next book. But yeah, there was a lot of lot of drama in here and a lot of loss and is this the book? No way, it's the next book. See, yeah, that's I'm getting them confused. Yeah, it's the next book. I'll get to that later. <laughs> Bringing in all the Deep Space Nine characters, obviously, is something that was was going to mean a lot to me, personally. And, um, you know, I, I thought the, the beauty and the, this, the horror of Bashir, you know, basically coming back to who he is, but through the shock of the death of Ezri was just terrible, you know, and, yeah. but it, perfect in the and, sense that it works and with exactly that scene with, the way it's supposed to. And with that scene with Garrick. That was nice. Mm -hmm. to have yes, there. yes, exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it it's also this beautiful, like, uh, just again, it's it breaking your heart because it, in many ways, you know, I think Bashir, with all that happened to him, I think the biggest regret of his life was what happens to him in Esri and, and the fact that that they don't try harder. He doesn't try harder, um, you know, to make that work. And. You know, obviously he had his own path to go on with everything that happens with Section 31, but I, I think that, you know, becomes an ultimate regret for him. And, and that loss, you just, to me, I just, you just, the way James wrote that, you felt it, you know, and so, um, you know, I wanted to ask you guys something, though, specifically here, because we're talking about the Deep Space Nine characters in The Ashes of Tomorrow, and one of the things that we don't get is some Deep Space Nine threads um, like Rebecca. And so I wanted to throw out something to you guys because I felt like um, that, to me, to utilize Rebecca, I think would have been really interesting. Um, and to have her have to go with Kira because she and the Hand of the Prophet need to be together to make the orb thing work I think would have made a lot of sense and I'm really surprised that they didn't pick up on this very easy way to utilize her and and that storyline 
without having to add anything, without having to add, you know, and, and it would have been, can you just imagine how terrible the scene between, you know, Cisco and his wife having to say goodbye to their daughter, knowing that she has to do her part? Like, like I, to me, I, I, I'm just like, wow, you guys, and, and, and you know, they missed a huge opportunity, one, for story, um, to connect to the things that, you know, David R. George III have been doing. But at the same time, they missed a, a scene that would have just, I mean, it would have destroyed you to read. Well, they, I, yeah, because I think the last we hear from Cassidy and Rebecca are just a, a note that they made it onto a shuttle with Jake and his yep. wife. And I almost feel like if, if Cassidy and Rebecca had been somehow with Kira, but then we could see a death of Cassidy and then Rebecca mm -hmm. has to go with Kira. And then maybe Kira gets a vision from the prophet saying that Rebecca needs to come with her to do this. I mean, like they could have tied that in, but yeah, like you're right. Yeah. I think it's uh it, it was, I thought it was kind of strange how they just, not even how they didn't use Rebecca, but even just that the Cisco family was just kind of like, Oh yeah, they got away. They're on their way to like Cestus three or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, and it didn't even matter in the, in, in the in end, the right? End, yeah. it, it, it like, that was one of the things I think I, just in the series in general, there's a lot of fights that happen between, you know, uh, the avatars and, and, uh, what are they called? The um, Nagas or Negas, the Nagas. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of battles and, and it's a criticism I've seen other places. And I think it's actually true. There's, there's too many places where that happens and they're trying to get people away from them. But I'm thinking to myself, like that legitimately doesn't matter. Like whether or not Jake gets away with his wife, they're all going to die anyway. Everybody's going to die. It doesn't matter. So, the emotional investment would have been more interesting in the sense of like you said, Casey, like what if Cassidy dies saving Rebecca's life and then Rebecca, you know, Cisco has to send her off with Kira, you know, and to me, that's a much better storyline and utilizes the storylines that we had been going with in a way that works, I think, better. Um, so I don't know. That just was something that Bruce, you and I had talked about that. I think when, um, we both read this book and we were kind of talking together one day and that's just something that's really stuck with me. I'm just surprised that they didn't think of it. Oops. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, yeah. We and I, you and I talked about this offline for a while. So going into this trilogy, I, that was probably one thing I was really hoping is to get something with Rebecca. Cause I become pretty good friends with David R. George III and he and I do lunch together cause he lives locally here and every once in a while, I'd say, hey, you know, you kind of left things open with Rebecca at the end of Original Sin. You've got to write another novel. And he's like, I, I don't have another novel coming up. I'm like, but we got to have something. He goes, well, I don't need to write what happens next with Rebecca. Any of the authors can do that. And I thought, okay, this is the moment. But we're going to get that. And then they didn't do it. But there's only so many right. characters they can do. And I think also because of Rebecca's age, I don't know if they wouldn't know how to string her along through the three books because even James said, and I can't remember if it was on a show I was on with him or afterwards, but you know, he said aging Renee, Renee. 
was necessary because they didn't want Renee to be the small kid throughout. It's easier to play with Renee in the situation sure. with him being an adult. So I think that's right. why the direction they went to. And again, it's like I said earlier, if you know if these, if we never got this trilogy, I'd be okay, be okay with it. So I'm okay with not getting with any information about what happens to Rebecca afterwards. But yeah, it would have been cool to see her utilized because of her abilities. But well. You know, you can only do so much. They could even have yeah. had a future Rebecca come in. I mean, the first book had the Department of Temporal Investigations in it, which I don't think yeah. were mentioned after at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they could have had a time-displaced Rebecca from the future come in and had an adult Rebecca, I guess. But I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, it just... Um... I don't I don't even remember how old she is, but I mean what is she's like what seven, eight, something nine, like that. Something, yeah. like that. something yeah. like that at this point. Yeah. You know? So it's like I mean, I feel like she's old enough. I mean, if Harry Potter's eleven and we could take in on Voldemort, you know, like I Rebecca, you know, so Yeah, but uh, they also focus more on the screen characters, right? I mean sure. I've heard some people no, complain I, about absolutely, that. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. But I'm I, my 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 point though is is that the legitimacy of doing this is really to pay off people who've been reading this stuff. Like, no can we just be honest? Like the small amount of people that actually read Star Trek books in the large scheme of things is probably like what two percent of fandom? I mean, in in all reality. So like like you're 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 writing this for the two percent, you know, and so like I, I I'm just gonna push back on that a little bit and say like it's it's more about paying us off than it is anybody else who just picks this up because we're the ones who care, we're the ones who invested, just as the authors were invested too. So and it's not like they're the worst because they didn't think of this. It's just more of a like I just I'm, I'm interested that they. They didn't try to think of of a way to utilize that storyline because it seemed like it would be pretty organic without actually having to do much, um, much, much different, really. You know, like um, you don't really have to change very much at all, you know, and, and you're probably just adding one scene to the book where Cisco has to make the decision that to send off Rebecca with Kira, which again would just legitimately rip everyone's heart out. Um, so, uh, you know, it just seems like one more place to put it, the dagger in. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying they didn't give me enough daggers. I needed one more. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Cisco children though, I would say that this is, this book has one of the best Jake scenes ever where Jake stands up and helps save the people to get on the shuttle. Yeah, that was great. On the shuttles. But yeah, I, I mm-hmm. love Jake in this book. Yep. 100%. One moment for him there to just kind of let him shine before he dies was great, you know. And to utilize something that Jake has never utilized before, which is I'm the son of the emissary. Yeah. Like that's not a thing Jake has ever done before. And I thought that was really cool. Was there anything else in the ashes of tomorrow that either of you guys can think of that you either, you know, liked or, or didn't like. And there was a lot of uh, little Easter eggs. I feel like some of them have been brought up on interviews, such as the, someone is stealing the enterprise scene. Um, but there was also uh, the scene where Tom Paris and Wesley meet, and there's this kind of pseudo recognition oh, yeah. on uh, Wesley's face. <laughs> yeah. And Tom is like, ah, oh, I just yeah. got one of those faces. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, 
Matthew, if you're not re- or if you're not watching Discovery, you wouldn't necessarily know about time crystals on the on Boreth. No, um, but no. that was uh, alluded to, and they didn't ever say anything about the time crystals. But there was, uh, I think they were talking about the uh, the caves or something. There was something they talked about mm-hmm. they had to protect yeah. on Boreth, and that was yep. from Discovery. There's a shuttlecraft Lorel, which is also uh, Discovery. Yep. I did catch that one. Yeah. So. But um, then California class ships, which yeah, that, that that was, was actually great. I guess just kind of that was one of the the harder deaths. I feel like our was Nog. You know, he was the mm-hmm. he ended up being Captain Nog by the end because he kind of got Captain the way Esri did by I think he was like mm-hmm. second officer or something like that, and it kind of yeah. got a media promotion um, as uh, the rest of his crew was dying, and then for him to give that ultimate sacrifice of um, staying on his ship to. Uh, to uh, destroy those Nagas to, to save, I think it was the people uh, evacuating mm-hmm. Bajor. Yeah. yeah. was kind yeah. of a, a, a great way to end his character, I feel like, just uh, with the, you know, Starfleet through and through, I guess. But then, yeah. mm-hmm. then as you guys yeah. mentioned, the, the, um, with O'Brien staying behind to, to save Kira, that was just another ultimate sacrifice that an enlisted officer you know he's just he's not even he's not even an officer he's just an enlisted man and he's he's making that sacrifice to save kira like those were very well done i thought mm-hmm. yeah i 100 percent agree with you uh and yeah i mean there are just so many good moments i think for the most part for me in this book um and i really really liked it so uh well i mean oblivion's gate uh, final book in the series, and I guess the biggest question that I want to ask both of you, you know, I talked to David about this idea, but the Borg are back, and I don't know how you guys felt about that, um, about utilizing them one more time. Um, uh, so I, I, I can't, I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Well, you know, yeah, the Borg were back. It's all connected to first contact. So that was the point of origin for the splinter timeline. So I was okay with that, which made sense in some ways to bring the Borg back. You know what? I I, I was like, okay, more Borg. We don't need more Borg. But I, I really liked it because we got to go to Earth when it was Borgified, which we've never done before. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. You know, I, we, I was like, oh, yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. That really actually did exist. And we're going to go visit Earth as it's been taken over by the Borg from First Contact. That was cool. And then the battle that Picard had with the Queen, the <laughs> she's like giant queen giant. and all this stuff. I, I don't know why. But that scene just like I was so enthralled. I was so into that scene. It just like I just wanted Picard to just kick ass. Like I was like so into it more than I would ever expect. I really didn't think I'd be into it that much. So because of those things, I was okay with the Borg coming into this. After reading the book, it made me think about Destiny. It's like, well, we kind of redeemed the Borg and Destiny, and now we're bringing the Borg back as baddies here. Then in some ways I kind of wish that because of the events of Destiny, we thought we saved the universe, but it would have been cool to find out that what we did in Destiny actually caused an issue that led to the events of CODA. That just when you thought you saved the universe, it actually had a devastating effect on things later. 
I thought that would have been cool to kind of thread that in there, but that would have, I guess, changed the whole story. But I was cool with the Borg. I was fine with it. Yeah, I was I was fine with it because just the Borg are such a, I mean, as much as people think they're overused on TV and everything, I, I've never minded the Borg, and especially in the novels. Um, and, you know, like you said, Bruce, like going to a Borgified San Francisco was pretty cool. And yeah, the giant Borg queen... Um, and even just the um, kind of, I mean, the whole, everything, I guess, that happened on the on the Borgified Earth was just very um, thrilling, I guess, that you, you know, because these are Borg that knew nothing of Starfleet, theoretically. Like, they, they knew Locutus, but they didn't know why they knew Locutus, and um, so, you know, it, somebody even says at some point, well, they're not their their shields won't necessarily um adapt because they've never encountered starfleet phasers before so there's just a lot of newness to the borg now that we haven't had before because it was almost like meeting them again for the first time and i think i i would have i would have been totally fine if the borg weren't here if they'd found some other way i i know that they had to go back even before nemesis to kind of undo some of the things like to, to kind of say where the splinter started. And I mean, this, the, the time jump in first contact seemed like the most logical place, given that we saw it on screen. We saw the, saw the time travel on screen. We saw the Borgified earth on screen. And so, yeah, again, like you said, Bruce, we, we see that on screen, we know that it exists. And so now to finally get to visit that kind of just made it pretty cool by the end of it. Well, if anybody's ever read the book, I think Michael Jan Freeman wrote the book uh, Planet X when they come, the Enterprise comes back through that vortex at the end of First Contact. They actually go into a dimension where they meet the X-Men. So I'm like, where are the X-Men in this book? We needed <laughs> Wolverine. <laughs> oh, man, that would have been cool. Um that would have taken it down one star for me, I think. <laughs> I, I, yeah, there you go. Uh, David Mack did not utilize the X-Men. How dare you? Um, the Freeman universe. What happened to that? Uh, I get using the Borg again and, and, and obviously, you know, uh, having the conversation with David where he talked about them having to go back because the changes that they were kind of making in the timeline after even before Nemesis had happened with kind of the characters and, and all that kind of stuff, um, wasn't uh, enough, right? You know, like, it, and so First Contact became the, the, the pivot point. And I think it's fine. I, I don't think I was blown away by it. And I do feel like there's a part of me that would always, is always just going to feel like, oh, it's just the Borg again, in all honesty. It's just where I am. Um, but I do think it makes sense and it's well done and it's well written and all of those things. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, it just, it doesn't thrill me, you know, like it, it just doesn't. So, um, and I guess I might have been more excited in some ways, if they had just found a way to utilize the Davidians as the problem, but it's stemming from the same thing without necessarily having to revisit the Borg, 
but that's just me. So, um, yeah, uh, again, it, it doesn't kill anything for me. It's, you know, David does a great job with it as he does with all his writing here. And I think he makes really the best of it. That's, that's the thing, you know, all of these authors did. They make the best of the situation. So, um, but another thing I was, I'm really interested to talk to you guys about was the mere universe aspect because, that's another thing, you know, we've seen the mirror universe many times now and we're back in it. And, um, you know, in this way, the mirror universe kind of becomes the savior that our own Federation isn't in the 21st century in this splinter verse. And, um, that I think was really interesting to me. That was a interesting and, and an idea that I did not expect at all when the opportunity to visit the mirror universe again. It was interesting that they explained how the the mirror the mirror universe as we know it was really kind of a, a parallel universe to this first splinter that we've been following, that it's kind of like two two edges of a double helix, like that they kind of progress together, and so that's why this universe was gonna be destroyed as well. I, I wasn't super thrilled when I saw that we we're going to the mirror universe, because that's another one, yeah, that I I feel like has been done a lot, especially lately. And at first I didn't really, I guess, I guess understand the reasoning behind it, except that they just needed a place to hide where the Davidians or not, not the Davidians where um, Riker wouldn't think to look for them. And um, I, I did like kind of the redemptive nature of them as, you know, like you said, Matthew, that they kind of end up help saving the prime timeline, you know, in the end with all their ships. But um, it occurred to me too, as I was reading, well, in the lit verse, we've been exploring from time to time, the mirror universe as well, which we don't know what's going to happen with that, you know, on Picard or, you know, any of the other shows or even discovery really like, um, you know, with, with uh, Emperor George O. But so there is, there is some aspects of the mirror universe stories that kind of need to get, for lack of a better term, undone by, you know, by this story as well. So kind of giving them the opportunity to play a part, the the people of that universe a, a chance to play a part in saving the prime timeline was, uh, was effectual, I guess, in the end. I, I knew that the mere universe was going to be in these books at some point. And uh, there's even on one of the covers, I think on the second book, you can see like shattered glass, which I suspected at the time that that might represent the mirror universe, that that's more of a mirror breaking. And, mm-hmm. But I, so yeah, I, I don't know how I felt about them going to the mirror universe because like Casey, you were saying like, oh, they went there to hide. So I thought, oh, well, that's a cool way to hide. Just go into another universe, but then you're going to the mirror universe. And I haven't read those books that David has done in the mirror universe. So when we get there and the mirror Picard, isn't this badass evil Picard pirate type person, like we're seeing in the IDW comics and the other characters in the mirror universe, I came to really enjoy them and they didn't come across as that one dimensional, like badass, you know, characters that these just felt like another federation. And if anything that, really got me excited because i haven't read those books and even though this timeline has ended it hasn't ended for me because i want to go back and read the mirror universe books now 
So that's what got me like excited because I'm like, okay, well, as soon as I'm finished this, I'm going to go to the Mirror Universe books after I finish reading other books for podcasts. Mm-hmm. When I get a chance, I'll get to them. Well, I, I'm glad you said that because I'm. I think we just found a series. We've got at least two books there that we haven't covered. Um, you know, uh, that David Mack did. So yeah, we should do those because I, I heartily agree. Oh man, and I'm glad that you know, like you said, Casey, that and, and it was something I absolutely felt but i think it ended up working um much better for me than i thought it was going to and part of that was that david was wrapping up the storyline that he had been creating for them um in in the sense that setting in motion this this entire uh chain of events for them to you know basically basing it on the foundation series you know which i think is really cool um and works really really well um and foundation book series not necessarily the tv series which i haven't seen but i've heard mixed reviews on so that's a whole different story um but yeah i think that was great um and i really really liked that and so um we i guess i kind of come to it like everybody dies you know, this is this is not you know that that great Doctor Who episode was just this once. Everybody lives, like no, <laughs> everybody dies. You know the joke where you know you're talking spoilers about a movie and you're like, oh, I, you don't want to see everybody dies, and it's just a joke. No, this is not a joke. Everybody really does die. Um, and a, a lot has been made of, of, and I've seen that the place where you know there's there they don't say see that there's hope in this series and i gotta heartily disagree you know i I don't understand this criticism at all i mean if you're reading this book series it's full of hope of people willing to do what it takes uh the right thing to the very end right um to make a difference as kirk says you know you're out there to make a difference and while you're in that center chair you can make a difference and all of these characters make a difference and they make a difference by saving a group of people who will literally never know they ever existed, but they still do the right thing for the right reasons at the right time. And to me, that's a, an incredible lesson of hope. And um, yeah, I, I was really struck by how great that is. Um, so I, I don't know how you you guys felt about it. For me, it really works. Yeah, the the whole storyline throughout this one once wesley he kind of plays the doctor strange role in endgame where Mm -hmm. he sees all the various outcomes of this and realizes that their their splinter universe must die in order to preserve the prime universe and there's a lot of um there's a lot of questions around that i guess from the the people involved of like is this really the only way is there any way that we can live but as each character comes to terms with what they must do i mean like i said with before with with nog or miles like they're starfleet through and through they're going to do what they have to to preserve whatever timeline they can and they now know that and they've accepted that that theirs must die and it doesn't mean any of them have to like that they all have to go on this suicide mission essentially. Um, But they know it's their duty. And um, I feel like that's one of the most Starfleet things that they could do is protecting people who don't even know that they exist. Um, 
And it makes their some of the deaths that we see even more emotional, like Cisco's in this one was just heartbreaking when when Cisco died. And um and and Bashir's reaction to that and you know yeah, you can kind of go into it saying, well, we knew everyone was going to die, but it's like, you know, when you, when you put it in, especially somebody like David Mack's hands, you know, he's going to make that emotion, an emotional journey, even though you know that Spock is going to die at the end of Star Trek two, you know, like it's, it's the journey that we go on um, to those deaths that, that kind of are, are what matters and, and the, the heroics that our characters show along that way. Yeah, because, yeah, they know they're going to die. I mean, there's no way out of it. So you either sit there and die or you try to preserve yourself in that other timeline. You know, it's like they realize that Renee and Rebecca, you know, know, any children that they've had since the events of First Contact may not exist in the prime timeline. So they're going to see the death of their children because they may not even exist somewhere else, but yet they know that they themselves do still exist if they can preserve the prime timeline. So to see them make the sacrifice to save it, but yet at the same time, how much of a sacrifice is it because they know they're going to die already. So you might as well just get up and do it and make it happen. And because that's who they are, right? I mean, they're heroes. They're, they're people that do this all the time. They're always trying to save others, and they're always trying to save the galaxy. And it's just the right fit. This is the right way for it to end. I kept expecting that there'd be some twist that goes, oh, whoa, wait, here we thought they were all going to die, but something happened and they didn't, and they'll live happily ever after, and we'll never revisit this timeline. And that didn't happen. And uh, so they followed it through all the way. Yeah. The really interesting thing here is is that they are the suicide squad. Yeah. <laughs> that like that's that's who they turn out to be and uh, you know again to me I found hope in the idea of characters being willing to do the right thing even to the bitter end even if it meant they were still going to die. Like they still were going to do the right thing. And I think that's inspiring. I think that's hopeful. You know, I think we should all aspire to that no matter the cost that we would do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, and these characters, it in the end, they're still putting others before themselves. They're living up to the highest ideals of what Star Trek is, right? So I think that that's really beautiful and I, I love that and I'm, I'm glad that 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 was still, uh, I think, a very big part of this series, and it and it came through to me. And and the the fact that I I was really just shocked that that I was seeing so many people not being able to see that, and how that's not hopeful. Um, because to me, that's the ultimate in hope. They're hoping for a better future still, even if they're not a part of it. Um, and I think that's beautiful. So. Uh, well, I guess I wanted to ask kind of a, of one of the final questions, which is just about the final product then, you know, the Coda series, as we've talked through it and really had time to digest it all, 
you know, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, should this have happened or, you know, do we want this to happen or, you know, all of those kind of things. With what we got, are you glad it happened or do you find yourself wishing it hadn't? I am glad it happened. And I think I said a little bit about that at the beginning. But, yeah, I'm I'm glad it happened because, first of all, I really enjoyed reading the trilogy. I did find it to be a page turner. Every time the book showed up on my porch, I grabbed it and started reading it almost immediately. And yeah, I'm glad it happened. You know, again, if we didn't get this trilogy, I'd be fine with it. But I do like the fact that it gives purpose to this timeline that can't be revisited because of the constraints of tie-in and how it works with the new Star Trek that's mm-hmm. on screen. So it gives it a place within that context. It says, hey, this, and we now have a name for it, the first Splinter timeline. We now have this timeline, and it exists for a reason that leads up to these events that then saves the galaxy and saves the timeline that we watch on screen. And so it gives that purpose to this timeline, as opposed to people saying like, oh, it's just these other books. They don't even matter anymore. Well, they do matter because even if all these events didn't occur in the prime timeline from the the time two series up to now, these are events that could happen. Some of these events could happen in the prime time because it, it's still the same characters. So it informs us of a direction mm-hmm. that they might go into. So that to me is worth it too. So anyway, what I'm trying to say is, yeah, I really did enjoy this. I also think as I was reading this, I kept pretending if I had never read any of the other books before, I think I could still enjoy this because I'd go into this knowing this is an alternate timeline where our heroes from these series all of a sudden have to give up their lives to save what we know of. And I think I would have thoroughly enjoyed it without reading everything else. Well, that's a great segue into, I I haven't read all of the things or all of the stories leading up to this. I've only really gotten through the Typhon Pact. So I didn't, I haven't read Cold Equations. So, I mean, I knew that data came back, but that's about all I knew. Um, And, you know, a lot of the storylines I didn't, I didn't know. And so the, um, any of the references back to previous stories, there there would be a, a brief moment where I'd be kind of scratching my head going, I don't understand what's going on. And then literally like the next paragraph would explain briefly the events that I needed to know to get caught up and I was back on my way. And so I, I feel like this is a, if somebody's interested in reading Star Trek novels and, you know, I, I think they could pick up this trilogy and and be just fine and get a great story out of it. And I feel like I'm I'm really glad that the that the authors were allowed to to do these books because I know that CBS could have come in and said you know what no we got new Star Trek on TV we're just we're cutting you down like we're cutting cutting you off <laughs> you know wherever your last books were and and we're not going to go forward anymore but I'm I'm glad they did because one anytime we get to read these authors especially but really any new Star Trek book is, is great. You know, I don't want those to go away, but, but then I'll see, yeah, just getting closure uh, on some of these stories. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, am happy, you know, like that there is a finite end to this, I guess. Um, and 
I will never have to worry or wonder, oh, are they ever going to conclude such and such storyline? Well, you know, I, I know here that this is the <laughs> end. <laughs> there's there's this no more This is the ultimate closure. Yeah. I mean, you could, I, I suppose, like, if, if they were allowed to, they could go back in and, yeah, write that Rebecca story or something, you know, that just kind of fills in a gap somewhere. But but ultimately, yeah, I, I I'm I'm glad that these uh, these books came out. You know, you know, kind of close close off 2021 with a with a bang on Star Trek novels, and uh, hoping to see more from these authors in the future for sure. I'm glad you mentioned about uh, the permission to do these books because as we were talking about earlier in the show about Star Wars Legend, that permission was never given from their end. Where here we have the three authors that stepped up that wanted to do this. CBS Licensing agreed to it. Simon Schuster agreed to it. So, you know, big applause and thank you to all parties who allowed this to happen. I, I think that's totally awesome. I've had that thought too, but I've never expressed that. So I'm glad you brought that up. I think that for myself, I'm a little bit more mixed in the sense that there's things that I'm glad that happened in the series and there's things that I'm... Not glad there's good and bad, right? It's a it's a mixed bag. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I think that is to be expected with with this kind of series. And, you know, and, and really, and I mean this in the highest form of praise, I think the authors did the best they could with what they had to work with, which is three books trying to bring an end to something that, has been going for 20 years. It's a tall order. And I think they do a dang good job of it. And, you know, um, and I think having known them all for a really long time now, since like 2012, 11, it's been a long time at this point that we I've been talking to them. I know how much this means to them and how much of their heart and soul they pour into this. I mean, our interview with David, you know, him talking about the ultra-personal nature of this this book series for him and what it meant for him and how difficult some of the parts were to write for him because of what he was going through. How there were parts of this that he couldn't even write because it was so personal. Like, he couldn't write certain scenes because that would be too much, you know? Like these authors really care, and I think that shows on every single page. And so, regardless of whether or not I loved everything about it, you know, or it all works for me, I, you know, okay, you know, I, I think it's it's it is a good love letter to this part of Star Trek, and you know, it's damn better love letter than enterprise got so you know uh i'll i'll forever be happy with that but um yeah i i'm i you know I, it's it's good and bad and that's to be expected when something ends right regardless of what it is and so i think th that's the thing is that like the characters getting sacrificed on the altar of uh you know canon in th that's gonna hurt some people you know it's gonna hurt and i think 
the fact that it hurts means that the authors, I think, did a good job. Well, gentlemen, I am delighted that we got a chance to talk about this and uh, to do this together and, and kind of just do this roundtable in many ways, almost like a therapy session, I feel like, um, to, to get through the end of the lit verse. And it's been a lot of fun, but we'll be continuing Literary Treks this year. We've got some great things coming up for everybody. We're going to be diving into some fun series. Uh, we've already promised, I guess, here on the show that we're going to do some of those Mirror Universe books as well. Um, and we've got some other fun surprises coming up as well as the new books that will be coming out that we'll be covering. But uh, before we get to all of that, Casey, if people wanted to catch up with you and talk to you about, you know, CODA or anything else, uh, Star Trek related or, or elsewise, where can they find you? Well, I am available pretty much anywhere on uh, at, at Knitting Trekkie. Um, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, Letterboxd, all those ones. And then um, I'm usually lurking around in the Babel Conference as well. I'm also on another podcast called Mickey's Marvels, where we talk about everything under the Disney umbrella, including Star Wars and Marvel, since they were acquired. Nice. Yes, since they own everything now. They <laughs> Just wait till they own Star Trek, too. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, Bruce, uh, if people do want to catch up with you and see what you've got going on, where can they find you? Well, I'm also on Goodreads. I'm glad you mentioned that, Casey, because I forget to mention that. So, yeah, look for me on Goodreads, but also on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. It's Admiral with the underline Rex. And I'm occasionally on the Star Wars Report podcast, which Matt has also been on. And I do a podcast with Dan Guthrie called Positively Trek, where we talk about the series, the books, the comics, the movies, the action figure that came out last, whatever it is, we're talking about it there. And of course, you could find me uh, all over the place under the name Matt Rushing Zero uh, Two, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, Vero. I'm on Goodreads as well. Uh, of course, it, as is the show, you can find uh, the Goodreads group. Uh, you can also uh, find me here on the network on our whole other side of the network called the Six Hundred Two Club, where we're talking about every fandom that we love, not just uh, Star Trek. And of course, they've got the bonus shows in there with Snyder cuts as well as Assembling Avengers. And then I'm also doing the Orb and Warp 5. The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And Warp 5's about Star Trek Enterprise. Over on the Nerd Party Network, you can find me doing two shows. One is a completed show I did with Drake Goffman called Owl Post. We talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. And then last but not least, over on Aggressive Negotiations with John Mills as we talk about Star Wars each and every week. But thank you so much for joining us and until next time live long and read on you call that light reading to each his own number one